Butler, I love a good game night. Then Field, you're in luck, because I've got a game for you. Marvel Dice Throne is a fast and fun board game for all ages. That's right. Each player selects one of eight heroes to face off in a head-to-head battle to see who earns the right to take the throne. Gameplay involves strategically rolling dice to activate special abilities, playing unique hero cards to manipulate results, and upgrading your hero board to power up your stats. This is currently being crowdfunded on Kickstarter and will have Kickstarter exclusives. Go there now to reserve your copy. Hey, I'm Shamar. And I'm Andrew. We're going to be doing a deep dive on all the connected DC animated movies in their cinematic universe. Yes, I'm here to discuss the interconnected storylines and point out how jacked everybody is. And I'm here to share deep comic book knowledge like Batman having his own sneaker line. So check out yet another DC animated podcast. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family and coming soon wherever you listen to your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Uh, that's a raccoon, yo. What, what are you doing? Feeding the raccoon. It's a trash panda. <laughs> <laughs> when the three burglars thing happens. Oh, and they're all saying the same line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, notice, Jeb, that when they put their hats on, I'm not going to be able to see facial expressions. So that's on you, man. That's on you. Okay, camera rolling. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Can I get an interview about uh, Betsy's wedding? No, anything but that. Anything get lost. That? Anything but that. Get my hat. Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe don't love about it, but we always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram, Facebook. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of over 100 episodes for your listening pleasure. That was probably one of the worst ones you've ever done. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Like, I'm sure you're going to edit out all the mistakes, but like you made a crap ton of mistakes. I there. made a couple of mistakes. Uh, there were some people, the people won't know. They won't know because you hide your mistakes well, but yeah, I know. I'll be re-recording. I know. I'll be re-recording all of that. <laughs> it's just going to sound different. It's like in a different room. Nice. <laughs> so how you doing? Uh, I am doing okay. All right. That's first of all, that has not, it does not sound like him at all. I don't know what the hell that <laughs> was. Oh God. We were doing the 1984 movie Starman. I, I was going to originally, after you said, okay, I was just going to say, I put a baby in you. <laughs> I decided to go with the different <laughs> route. Oh God. This is off. This episode's off to a great start. Answering a NASA message intended for aliens. A, what? It, it's intended for him. A space being. Hold up. Answering a NASA message intended for aliens. A space being tries to. Uh, it's intended for him. Exactly. Why did he, he answering a NASA being, message? Yeah. A space being tries to. Con- Come on. Who did the synopsis? All right. Answering a NASA message intended for aliens, a space being tries to contact mankind, but an American missile grounds his ship. Scrambling the so-called Starman inhabits the body of a late Wisconsinite and kidnaps the dead man's widow, Jenny Hayden. Determined to reunite with a vessel from his home planet at a predetermined site, Starman and Jenny travel to Arizona, pursued by military officials trying to kill him. Starman forges a lasting bond with Jenny. This that's a that terrible synopsis. This this garbage. synopsis is awful. This is not this is just awful. Holy cow, that's bad. <sighs> wow. I mean, like honestly. So we're doing Starman and and just ignore that a synopsis because 
That is quite that that would not make me want to watch this movie at all. No, that was a bad summer. Yeah, not good. Not good. So Starman has a runtime of 115 minutes. It's rated PG. Production budget of $22 million. Release date was Friday, December 14th, 1984. Opening weekend, it did 2.8 million. Domestic, 28.7. Uh, there's no worldwide numbers. I do not believe it came out worldwide, which is I'm surprised. I'm surprised it did not. Yeah, this thing's like I think this would do well in at least, you know, maybe Australia and England. Anyways, production company was actually Industrial Light and Magic and Delphi 2 Productions distributed by Columbia Pictures. And we'll get into that. Mm. Uh, so it came out on the 14th. Uh, it went up against Dune, Butler's favorite film. Uh, well, you like Dune. Oh, I like Dune. I don't like uh, the movie. Dune. You like the book. Dune. I like the book. Yeah. I like the miniseries. I don't like. David Lynch's Dune, which is weird because I love David Lynch. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, also coming up against The Cotton Club, Runaway, which I watched the trailer for, and Falling in Love. <laughs> it also had a limited release of A Passage to India, which is a David Lean film, and the movie 1984, uh, which is coincidence enough. It's the year 1984. Imagine that. What? <laughs> <laughs> On the 21st of December, you've got your, these are the, I assume, holiday films that are coming out for this holiday season. Now, this is the 80s, so maybe they don't do as they don't kind of set movies up. I was gonna say, yeah. you seem like you're not a big fan of this lineup. Well, no, no, no. The, the 14th, I understand Dune, the Cotton Club, Runaway, no, I mean the 21st. Oh, well, here we go. Yeah. Johnny Dangerously, which is Michael Keaton, right? I believe so. Yeah, that's not a bad protocol. Okay. Mi Mickey and Maud, which is, um, what's his name? Dudley Moore. And then Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> but you also had a limited release of The Flamingo Kid, The River, and Birdie. I believe The River's with Mel Gibson. On the 7th of December, you had City Heat, 2010, The Year We Make Contact, which is an episode we did last, last year, season, yeah. last season. And and also, and since if you listen to that episode, um, <clears throat> you know that Beverly Hills Cop 2, or Beverly Hills Cop, excuse me, came out two days before 2010. And killed everything. Yeah, Beverly Hills Cop is is the monster this 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 month. So uh, Starman opened up sixth, I think, in yeah, opening six, weekend. Sixth place. That has everything to do with Beverly Hills Cop, <laughs> or most of it. All right, so this movie is directed by, for those who may not know, John Carpenter. He's done Halloween, Escape from New York and L.A., and Prince of Darkness, which is what we did this past uh, Forgotten Horror season. And In the Mouth of Madness. And In the Mouth of which Madness. Which we did this past uh, Forgotten Horror season. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Written by Bruce A. Evans and Reynold Gideon. Uh, Evans has done Mr. Brooks, another episode we did. He's also done Cuffs. He was nominated for an Oscar for writing for Stand By Me. Really good film. Uh, Gideon has also is his writing partner, so he was also nominated for Stand By Me. But he's also nominated for a live action short subject of Frog Story. And he's written Jungle to Jungle. Uh, cinematography by Donald M. Morgan, who's done Meatballs Part 2, of course. The Rage, Carrie 2, and Christine, which is another Carpenter film. Composer was Jack Nietzsche, who's done One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Cruising, Mermaids, The Jewel of the Nile. And he won an Oscar for a song he wrote for an officer and a gentleman. Edited by Marion Rothman, who's done Mystic Pizza, Opportunity Knocks, Escape, and Beneath the Planet of the Apes. I thought you might like that, Butler. Mm -hmm. Produced by Larry Franco and Michael Douglas. Yes, the Michael Douglas. Franco has produced The Rocketeer. Did you know they're remaking that? Well, they're not remaking it. It's a sequel. Well, they're redoing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm all right with that. I'm just, I was asking you if you knew I that. Did, that's all. I wasn't making a comment. Boo! I was just saying it's coming uh, back out. David Oyelowo is going to be the is new he, one, right? He's going to be the Rocketeer? He's going to be the new one, yeah. Yeah. Mars Attacks and Sleepy Hollow, as well as or Franco's producing credits. And then Douglas says, I tried to find movies that Douglas wasn't in that he produces, because he does produce a lot of his films, including the one we did this past a uh, couple weeks this, this for the season, The Ghost in the Darkness. Mm -hmm. But he's also produced Flatliners, Radio Flyer, and Made in America. I'm trying to find movies he wasn't in. Oh, cool. I didn't so, know he did Made in America. Yeah. So Jeff Bridges is Starman. <laughs> 
AKA Scott. Yeah. Scott Hayden. He, he plays the uh, cloned version of Jenny Hayden's husband, Scott Hayden. Right. Scott. Yeah. Scott. Yep. Uh, he has won an Oscar for his role in crazy heart. He's also been nominated for hot hell or high water, true grit and the contender. Um, he's in a ton of stuff, obviously the big Lebowski. Bad Times Deal Royale, which is Bad another times, episode we yep, did last season. Yep, yep. Jeff Bridges has quite the career. Karen Allen as Jenny Hayden. She's in Raiders of the Lost Ark, Scrooge, and In the Bedroom. Uh, Karen Allen does a lot of theater. Does a lot of stuff outside of the cinema, which is probably why you don't see a lot of her in the cinema. Uh, Charles Martin Smith plays Mark Sherman. He's in The Untouchables, American Graffiti, and Dolphin Tale. Richard Jekyll as George Fox, who was nominated for an Oscar for Sometimes a Great Notion. He's also been in The Dirty Dozen and the 1957 version of 310 to Yuma. And why I bring that up is because we covered the, the remake of 310 to Yuma a few seasons ago. Yes, we did. And Tony Edwards as Sergeant Lemon. You may know him as the limo driver in Hot Shots Part 2. He's also <laughs> in Chud, Bud the Chud. Oh, boy. And, <laughs> and the experts. Robert Phelan as Major Bell. He's in Three Days of the Condor, another episode we did yeah, in right. Halloween. Ted White as Deer Hunter. And the only reason I have Ted White here as Deer Hunter is because he also is Jason in the the... Friday, Friday the 13th, 13th the final chapter. Year. Yeah, same year. He's also in Romancing the Stone, and he's a big-time stunt guy. And then we have two kind of cameos or people in the earlier in their career. Dirk Blocker as cop number one, and MC Ganey as cop number two. Now, Ganey uh, was one of the bad guys in Breakdown, which is an episode we did, and Blocker was in Prince of Darkness, which we already said that we did that this past right. season, but he's also in Midnight Madness, and I will always pimp Midnight Madness because I like that show, that movie. He's also in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I think is uh, most people which know is what, Yeah, there you go. I don't watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so that's why Butler's here. All right. <laughs> one of the first things that struck me was that this movie came out in December of 84. This movie was filmed in February to July of 84. Yeah. That is a quick turnaround. That's some John Carpenter right there. Quick. You think you really? I think he's used to working kind of off the cusp like that. Maybe. His horror films. Yeah. This is his only movie where he's had an Academy Award nomination. That was for best actor for Jeff Bridges. Do you know who he lost to? You know, I like to do that. Oh, I do. I do. Um, I, I can't think of his name right now. I, I know what you're going to say. And I'm gonna be like, yep. He's in the show Mythic Quest. No, I, I, F. Murray Abraham. Yep, yeah, F. Murray yeah. Abraham won the Oscar in, well, it's, an, it's the 85 Oscars, but it's for the 84 films for his role as Solieri and Amadeus. Yeah. Uh, but do you also know who was nominated that same year? I do not, other than who won. Well, Tom Hulse also was nominated for Amadeus for playing Amadeus, which is <laughs> funny that Abraham actually won that because it didn't split the vote. But you also had Albert Finney as, in Under the Volcano was nominated, and Sam Waterston was nominated for The Killing Fields. So Only seen Amadeus and Star. Have you never seen The Killing Fields? Nope. You should see The Killing Fields. It's good. I've never seen Under the Volcano and I've seen Amadeus, but it's been a while. It was, it's one of the Amadeus, one of those films that it's been so long that I'm like, I don't remember a lot of it. <laughs> it's um, at least his father is one of, one of his favorite films. Oh, it's, it's, I, I know it's a really good film. Time. I just haven't yeah. seen it. I just have not seen it. So I'm going to get into one quick note sure. before we get, before we get going. So Columbia was developing two films at the same time. One was Starman and one was Southern film. And this other film, they, and they were doing it simultaneously, and they were like, we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision as to which film we're going to stick with and just get the other and get rid of the other film and have it go to another studio. Right. So they chose this film to stay with. They chose to stay with Starman, and they put the other film, they gave it to a rival studio. Now, that script was called Night Skies. Mm-hmm. What did Night Skies become? I become the family-friendly hit, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Oh! <laughs> womp, womp. Although, to be fair, Night Skies would not have done well. Well, or, you don't Night know Skies if- Night Skies was a much different movie. No, 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 I know that. And you also don't know if Columbia is going to 
work with Spielberg, who ended up doing E.T. Right. To de- to develop it into what E.T. became. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So it might have been a completely different film. Yeah. But still. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. And what's funny about that is they chose Starman. And then this was in 79. And then E.T. E. came out. Beat it first. Yeah. And then they waited like three years before they even went back to it. Because they didn't want it because E.T. was so similar or they thought it was so similar, which I don't think it's very similar. And they were well, just like, just, well, can't release it now. Yeah. I think releasing it sooner closer to E.T. would have been even better for the film. Yeah. Yeah. Because people would have wanted that kind of story. Mm-hmm. And this film had multiple directors attached. So like I said, this project was in development since 1979. It had Mary Rydell attached, Adrian Lin before he went on to go do, he left and went to do Flashdance. John Badham, who left and went to do War Games. And then you had Tony Scott, who wanted a completely different actor in the beginning. And Peter Himes, before they went to Carpenter. which was So there's so many people attached to this film. That's probably why E.T. beat it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I imagine. Yeah, perhaps. (laughs) If you know John Carpenter, obviously, we've talked about Carpenter before on this podcast. Right. We've done three of his films. Right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. This will be the third, right? This will be the fourth. What was the other one? I don't remember. We did the two horror movies. What else did we do? I know we did Prince of Darkness. We did In the Mouth of Madness. Oh, we did Vampires. Vampires. That's, that's right. right. Yep. Okay. So, but, but again, those are three horror films. Well, this is, here you go. Go find something that's not a horror film other than Starman. And the reason that's why the he, it, exactly. One of the reasons why Carpenter did this movie is because this came after The Thing, which everyone loves The Thing. But not in 1980s. Thi- exactly. <laughs> the Thing is so good. But The Thing was a huge box office flop back in the 80s. So he had, he wanted to do a movie that show that he's employable in Hollywood. Like, listen, hey, I can play by your rules kind of thing. I think that's hilarious. And I will say this. This movie's really good. I, I think this movie's really good. Uh, do you not think that? Oh, look no, I, I do. Look I in do. your face. Yeah, like, gonna fight. <laughs> no, Starman is awesome. Yeah. I love Starman. Yes, it's, it's, it's so good. And I think a part of it, that's one of the reasons why it's so good is your two leads. Is not just, I mean, the movie in and of itself is, is somewhat, dramatic and obviously but the, but if the two leads are not the movie hinges on your lead right for if, sure if yeah. they're not charismatic in terms of or you cannot you don't buy that they fall in love mm-hmm. you know then you, your movie's just kind of like fall it's gonna fall apart it's a love story yeah yeah it's definitely a romance it's definitely a sci-fi love story romance it's not an action film it's not you know, uh, it's science fiction. It's in the science fiction world, but it's not in terms of sci-fi action, sci-fi thrillers, nothing like that. Correct. It's a straight up love story. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm I'm curious when we get to the question in terms of why we think it was forgotten. But I, I, I'm curious if this movie would have done better if it, it had less romance. I don't think so. I don't want I don't want it. I'm not I'm not advocating that. Right. I'm, I'm curious as to. Would it have done better in the box office? Would it have not done better if they had a little, if they took out a little bit more and added a little bit more? I'm, just, I'm curious what you think. I think it'd become more rote. It would just become another like middle of the road kind of sure. action movie, sci-fi action movie. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been come and gone. No one would have cared. It would not have helped catapult Jeff Bridges to where he is today. It would not have got him nominated, obviously. It would not have saved John Carpenter's career. Not that I don't think his career needed saving. I mean, he's built the horror genre essentially some of the stalwarts but see i think i think somebody like oh, i don't mean to cut you off I, I i don't think that it would be as good of a film and i don't think it would be as i mean we're talking about it being forgotten but i also don't think it would be as memorable we wouldn't be talking about it it wouldn't still be somewhere in the back of somebody's mind at this point i'm wondering if if carpenter was 
50 years younger and his career was just starting out now, if he would have more success doing films on streaming, well, you know, he would have about that in one of the other yeah, episodes. I yeah. just, I just think that he is a filmmaker who like his films aren't, they're, they're all, whether you like them or not, or whether they, they're not as successful, whatever, they're still good. And it's like, right. I feel like you know this, the whole idea that he had to do this film to show Hollywood that, Hey, like I'm employable guys. It's, it's like, what the hell? Like you just, it, I know it's 2020. It's you're looking back, you know, it's it, when you're look when you're kind of hindsight's always 2020, but I don't he made, get it. He made one flop. He's, he's also still coming off of Christine. Not long at long before this. Which yeah. was a huge success. Halloween was a major, major game changer and made his studio a good gajillion yeah. dollars doesn't make any sense in a franchise that has lasted to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't, I just, I have to prove him employable. I think he had to prove to himself. He maybe, maybe this is, maybe that's more note about himself and his own creative, uh, his own perception of himself, self-esteem, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, that's fine. And, and listen, we're both creatives. We understand that. That maybe, definitely seeps in. Maybe he can't admit to himself that maybe he wanted to do another movie. Maybe he wanted to try his hand at a different genre. I, I anytime he stepped out of, of he's done Starman is not. I mean, they say like Big Trouble in Little China is not technically in his genre, but it is. It, it, it that's completely a Carpenter film. I don't understand why they think it's not. It's just got a lot more action and comedy to it than other ones. Although sure. Don't Live uh, also has a lot of schlock. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Well, that, yeah. enough about Carpenter. So one of the things I'm going to tell you, I'm going to start off with something I don't like. And then we'll get into all this stuff because we both like the movie. Sure. I cannot stand the taglines they have in these movie posters. The movie posters tagline is huge. He's traveled from a galaxy far beyond our own. He is 100,000 years ahead of us. He has powers we cannot comprehend. And he is about to face the one force in the universe he is yet to conquer. Love. Please gag me. I mean, like, like you be at the theater, honey. You ready to go? I'm all set. In the bathroom. No, I got. I'm still reading the poster. Hold yeah. on, I can't. I can't go yet. Like, dear <laughs> lord, like, give me a poster. I need a poster log line. Damn right, three lot, three sentences. Go. I'm pretty sure that's also on the VHS copy. Ugh, as well. Oh my god. <laughs> like, I love the assumption. He's 100 years ahead of us. Like, we're just gonna make that assumption. It's because it's a throwaway line they use. Yeah, I know. Oh uh, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> His powers you not comprehend. You mean the silver balls? Okay, sure, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, um, I think it's a, I think it's a really good nomination for Jeff Bridges. He's really good in the film. Absolutely. Yep. I think it's very easy to play this role. Like you say, it's very easy to go down more cliche route. We talked about that um, off off mic, whereas he hired an ornithologist to help him with bird movements to kind of because he that's why he's jerking his head around a lot of times. Which once you once you read that note, it's hard to watch the film and not think yeah. about that. Yeah, he hired a dancer, dance coach to help him with just his movements and how someone would walk if they didn't know how to walk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, he de- there was definitely a lot of stuff uh, in terms of physical acting that he looked into for this role. It's tough because he's somebody who has a a wealth of knowledge, but yet he doesn't have a wealth of knowledge in terms of where he is and he has to learn. Right. And that's a tough road and and line to play something. Do you play somebody as just like this dumb, silly character Mm -hmm. or do you play somebody with like emotion and, and depth without being able to really express it? Yeah. Um, And I think he does a, a super, Awesome, admirable job at, at doing that. Totally deserved that nomination. Probably deserved the win. But it's, although no, no. Amadeus it, is really it's good. it's tough too because you're you're meant you have to understand 
Jenny Hayden's uh, despair really quickly and, and just her, her depression really fast because it started, the movie starts up fast. Oh yeah. It just goes. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you, you kind of get that when she's watching the video, when she, excuse me, the video, she's watching the film mm-hmm. and you kind of see Scott Hayden as he was, or her husband. They didn't say how he died. Right. Or did she say an accident? He got in an accident. Got an accident. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then she's obviously upset and she goes, and you get the idea. She's like, you're not going to keep doing this again. Like that kind of thing. So she's just, right. all she's been doing. Um, I'm like, I'm wondering if, if they weren't so strong together in terms of just the dialogue and their scenes and their emotions, would the, would we have give would we kind of look back in the beginning of the movie and be like, okay, maybe that needed a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, cause it's so fast. It's like, you could easily screw that up, but they don't to their credit. They don't. Are you saying if the actors weren't as strong, if you'd needed? More? Yes. I'm saying like, not, oh, just, yeah. not just the actors in and of itself, but just their chemistry together in scenes, like that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. You'd yeah. need more of a structure mm-hmm. because their kind of outlying emotion wasn't, wasn't going to be strong enough. So you need the story's backbone to kind of support that, but right. they don't need that because they can, they can carry that weight themselves as actors right, right. for sure. I think, I mean this, yeah, I'm surprised that Karen Allen didn't get a lot more recognition for this role. Right. I mean, her career is funny because she'll, she'll, she'll be in something that's really huge and then she doesn't want to do anything. I think she kind of actively steered away from the limelight. That's what it seems like. Yeah. Cause she's done some big films, which is fine. I mean, yeah, you're in Raiders. You're probably getting a ton of offers to do stuff. I yep. mean, her first movie was animal house, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you're, you're doing it. And granted the, the production of animal house is, you know, a story in and of itself in terms of just the, you know, what the hell is going on behind scenes. <laughs> but um, you know, she's, she's in a ton of films that are really big. And then she's just, and she, Scrooge is a big film, mm-hmm. you know, and then, she just kind of like you, you, she, I think she goes off and does theater. She does her own passion projects and that's fine. But like she, she's a big star. She, she could have been a huge star if she was just like, yeah, I'm all in, yep. but whatever, who cares? That's, that's not, I don't give a crap about that. It's just, she's really good. She's so strong in this film. I'm very surprised that when people talk about, Oh, Jeff Bridges is really good in this. It's like, well, why aren't you talking about Karen Allen? I think because she plays a person and he's, <laughs> he's a weirdo star man. But she plays a person that like he's, I mean, honestly, he saves her. Not, you know what I mean? Like he, he does because he brings her out of her depression and shows yeah. her like there's more to the world than right being sad and depressed. Well, that's, and that's also brings us to another theme that producer talks about. Larry Franco says that this is a quote. There are an awful lot of films today that focus on the things that are wrong in America. We had an opportunity with Starman to show the good side of America, its beauty and the beauty and the potential of its people. So I think that's something, you know, in terms of, the Charles Martin Smith character, Mark Sherman's mm-hmm. character, uh, where he's the government guy, he's trying to chase him down, but he's an inherently good guy. Now, right, I mean, he's yeah. just interested in right in the alien. He works for SETI. He wants right. to find and meet him. Right. He he's you know so. Granted, at the end, the government does become bad, or in terms of like you know they want to. I mean, they do shoot him down. They, yeah, they, immediately. He's. I love his line because like we invited him here and we shot him down. <laughs> yep. And immediately fired him. As well. Yeah, exactly. That's the first thing we do when we send out this album that's inviting him. It's like, God, it's one of my first notes is uh, so much for the Voyager 2. As soon as I saw Voyager 2, though, I thought of Star Trek. It's hard not to. Although in Star Trek, it's Voyager 6. Yeah, I, I know. I'm just saying I thought about it. But I also, it's also V'ger, but all right. Yeah. The one thing I didn't like was that, you know, Voyager 2 has only just gotten out of our solar system. Now, yeah. Now. So it's like, how does it get into a planet? I would have preferred like a, an alien kind of passing by it rather than going into a planet. 
That was a cool effect, but yeah. Well, well, I think they were presupposing that it was, you know, maybe maybe it got sucked in, maybe went through, maybe went through a black hole. Yeah, there you go. One on the other side, space time continuum. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, but like the Mark Sherman, you know, he could easily be like a bad government guy. Let's get. This oh thing. yeah, super easy. To yeah, do. yeah. But he's a nice guy. Granted, local law enforcement is not nice. <laughs> no, Dirk Blocker is cop one, and MC Ganey's cop two. Are looking for trying to break into the car. Yeah, waiting to try to give it motive to like. We just want some action. Yeah. You know, the two of the hunters that kill the deer and then he brings the deer back to life and they're just like, they go out there to fight them. Like, yep. you know, obviously they're, you know, whatever, but it, I, I understand what back to the quote that the producer was making, Larry Franco, I understand what he's trying to say. You know, I think it's more the beauty of, of Karen Allen's character of Jenny Hayden of just somebody and the waitress, you know, in the diner that, you know, you know, Dutch just, apple pie. Right. And the, the, I think there's, there are, there are people that are generally inherently good and want to help people want to help. Yeah, exactly. And the, I still think that holds true now. The line cook and stuff like that. Yeah, a, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I definitely think that that's, uh, I, I recognize that theme or what they were trying to do within the movie. Oh, sure. Yeah. That one of my favorite lines comes at the end because I think it's earned is when, uh, Starman asked Sherman, you know, do you want to know what I like best about your people? Mm -hmm. And he goes, it's very simple. It's like you're waiting for this monologue and it's one sentence. You were at your very best when things are at their worst. And he's right. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. he's right. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I it's last week we talked about The Machinist and we talked about how it's a movie that maybe needs to be kind of like elevated into cinema people need to go back to it or oh, it needs yeah, to, yeah. i think this i think this movie is the same thing i think you've got what a 40 year anniversary coming up in two years yeah three years i think this movie definitely needs another hey check this out because it's 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 that good it, it, it's definitely it's a movie that if somebody says i want an older film that i have not seen i would be like well check out starman because you should absolutely yeah you know what i mean it's one of those type of films if somebody likes sci-fi as well just like, oh, I like this and that. Well, you want to see something a little different. It's a good date movie. It's definitely a good it date movie. It is a good movie. date movie. Yeah. It's also nice that it's like a romantic sci-fi film. Like yeah. I always like when you combine genres that don't necessarily, people don't just think go together. Yeah. You know, we always talk about how all stories are done. It's just how you present them. Mm -hmm. It's like something like a, a sci-fi romance that's not like super cheesed up, like some kind of weird it's a movie, you know, yeah. It's, fanfic novel, like this is really, really well done. It's a movie that if you would walk out of the theater or get up from your couch and you have a smile on your face, that, yeah. that, that's one of those movies. And absolutely. the score is absolutely a part of that. The score is fantastic. It is. It's not a Carpenter score, which is very odd for Carpenter films. He usually does his own score, but that doesn't mean that that's why it's good. Carpenter's good scores too. Yeah. But um, you know, it's it's just a very it's a really really good score. It is the same note over and over again, but it's a really oh, I really like good the score, score. Yeah, but it, it does just play the same few notes. It's yeah. a very simple theme, but I like that it's also earned. Mm -hmm. It doesn't play until you realize Starman is a good guy. Yeah. It doesn't play until he unloads the gun mm -hmm. from when he had kidnapped Jenny Hayden and he goes, I mean, you no harm. And then the theme plays mm -hmm. for the first time. And I was like, wow, we're like 30 minutes into the film and we finally got the theme. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that's really well done. And I think it's really cool that you do that because a lot of movies would just open with your theme and be like, all right, here's what we're doing. We're going to yeah. play this theme. He holds that emotional throughway until 30 minutes once you learn who Starman is with Jenny Hayden. Well, let me ask you this about the theme then about the score because mm -hmm. we talked about this the last time with uh, either the In the Mouth of Madness one or Prince of Darkness how Carpenter doesn't like Mickey Mousing and scores. Do you think this score is a Mickey Mouse score? Absolutely. Explain what we're talking about. So Mickey Mousing is like the best example is John Williams where your score 
elevates your emotion. The score is telling the story. The score is kind of a, a crib sheet or it's cheating. It's it's forcing you into an emotional it's, it's state. Cueing to you, it's cueing you, you on what, how you need, you need to, to feel. be happy. Yeah. You need to, and it's also feel, matching oh. beats into the into the movie, too. Like, Correct. Like, yeah. You know, like if somebody's punching them, it's like boom, 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 like that kind of thing. Which, although, I mean, the Halloween score is no, no, abs- no, 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 absolutely. Mickey I don't. Mouse he's not. Well, he's yeah. not using that as a negative connotation. He's just saying he's there's just two saying different types of scores. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, this is absolutely Mickey Mouse thing. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what he was going for with this film to show people I can do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely yeah, I agree. I, I can agree with that. I can work with other people. It doesn't have to just be my show. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear that. Absolutely. Though this movie has a couple uncredited rewrites. So Dean Reisner, uh, who wrote Dirty Harry and Blue Thunder, amongst other things, did an uncredited rewrite for Carpenter. And one of the things he did was that there was a lot of political implications within the movie. Right. And Carpenter had him take those out, which I think was a good move. Right. That would change the movie. The movie's about their relationship, not about Agreed. like you should be, you know, the Democrat or Republican or, you yeah. know, wartime is right. It's not, it's not what this is about. I can I can sit here and make the case that the movie is about the, the, the saving of Jetty Hayden as a person. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. I, yeah. I mean, you can definitely make you. Could, I mean, at, at its core, that's what it's about. Almost. It's about her. She's yeah. she's the lead. Um, so, yeah. But it's definitely yeah, the person that you are supposed to be following. through. Of course. Adventure. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, obviously, you're not supposed yeah, to relate to the star. <laughs> and if you do, I, I, I yeah, if you're relating to Starman, I want to talk to somebody. <laughs> uh, it also had an uncredited rewrite by Diane Thomas and Edward Zwick. I don't know if they did it together, but Thomas is uh, uh, Romancing the Stone uh, and Zwick has ro- uh, written, uh, amongst other things, The Last Samurai. Uh, so they also had a, a little uncredited rewrite. Uh, now, I don't know what they added. I don't know, you know what they took out, but those are the notes I have. Did you like the baby, uh, the growing of the transformation, uh, man, the transformation? I liked, I did. Now I, now the only thing that I was just like, whoop was when he fills in, when he get the close up and his head goes up and it fills in, but it's 1984. So it's tough to do that. I, I'm going to give it a pass. You know, it's like, okay, it's 40 years ago. We went to animatronic and claymation. Okay. But no, that's no. fine with, but again, it's practical effects. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. There's and, also an inherent creepiness of practical effects when you do something like that. True. The CGI doesn't do. Mm-hmm. With CGI, you're like, oh, that's not real. And it's like, oh my God, that weird claymation thing is around somewhere in a studio. Yeah. Just freaking somebody out in a box. No, I'm good with that. I was fine with that. The weird I, I liked, baby. I liked when the, I liked when the kid was laying down and you saw a move and it was kind of like all that stuff. I thought that right. stuff was done well even oh, when sure. like jeff bridges stands up and it's him and, he, and he's naked but like he's standing up like All you can strange. hear him cracking yeah. and stuff like that i like that i thought it was done well i, I was i was i was completely off i was completely fine with it you know oh. so it, that didn't bother me as i was watching i was like that's got to be rick baker and we're looking it up i was like oh yep it is i was like that's absolutely <laughs> that is some werewolf in london kind of stuff so the crash landing of the Small run effects. The crash landing that was a model of the uh, vehicle the UFO. Was that what you think that was the a model? Going yeah. Down? No, they really burned yeah. forest for that. Okay. The train though. The there's an exterior shot of the train. I think that was a model. Oh really? I think. I didn't know. It's just that. one along. It's just one exterior shot of the train going on after they get on it and stuff like that. Yeah, could be. You know, because in the 80s it's all about hitching rides and hopping trains. But oh yeah, <laughs> that's one of my notes that I didn't like about the film is she's really good at like. Hoboing it across it's America. Late seventies, early eighties, man. That's this is before white panel vans are terrorizing the kids in the suburbs. This is one instance. Well, I'm just I'm just saying that she's really good at it, like she's done it before. Yeah. But it's like you get no implication that she's done it before. Well, you have to understand that's the I mean, again, we're talking about somebody who jump on this boxcar. How old do you think ahead. she is? 
In this film? Yeah. 30s? Okay. So she's so she grew up in like the late 60s, early 70s. I get that. Yeah. It's totally. And out in the, out in the Midwest? Yeah. I was going to say, my parents are the same age as Karen Allen. I don't think they know how to box cars. They, live box in, car they stay in Connecticut? Uh, my mom's from Brooklyn. Yeah, exactly. She did. Come on, man. She's they're 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 northeasterners. They're not they're not western. They know how to box car. They're not Wisconsinites. <laughs> how about the guy not washing his hands in the bathroom? <laughs> no one ever friggin' washes their hands in the bathroom. Like he didn't, even, he didn't even make a turn to the sink. But also, it's kind of because uh, Starman was a little uh, creeping him out there. He can still wash his hands. He's bigger than Starman. He couldn't take him. Uh, everywhere I go. Speaking <laughs> of the 80s, how big was that Coke can she was drinking? Oh my God, that Coke can was huge. I was like, yes. What are they now? They're six, 12 ounces? They're 12 ounce cans. Back- but you can still get cans that big in some no, rest stops. The tall ones you can. Yeah, no. Yeah, the, no, yeah. that was tall and wide. That had to be 24 ounces. I don't know, 24. I bet, you, maybe. I bet you it was like 50 cents, not even. Oh, man. That was probably a quarter. That was huge. <laughs> and I guess. At the time, Columbia Pictures was owned by Coca-Cola. Yeah, I read that. I was like, oh, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, put Coke in that movie. You know that's what they did. Put You, you want to shoot a movie with us? You better put a Coke can in there. Is he drinking a, is he drinking a 7-Up? That better be a freaking Sprite when I come back. I wonder if, because I, I know that Apple now won't let any bad guys on their movies or TV shows use, use their products. iPhones. But I wonder if um, Coke was the same way back then, because she's the one that drinks it. Like, I wonder, would oh. they be okay if, like, one of the government guys above Sherman is drinking was, a was Coke? Like, We're going to kill Starman. And then he starts drinking the Coke. Or <laughs> I hate Coke, Pepsi. Whenever I strap down an innocent alien and uh, rip his insides out while he's still alive, I, know. Him, I like to drink a Coke. <laughs> so let me ask you this question. The silver balls. Okay. He only gets a limited amount and he can do everything he wants with them. Right. Right. Okay. And he heals the, he heals that deer. Right. With the silver ball. You have to assume, yeah. I assumed that. Yep. He uses it for Jenny. He uses two for Jenny. Okay, why does it take it? Why does she take so long to why? Why does she need more? Uh well, A, the deer is a simple animal. Well, I mean, okay. And you don't know how the deer died. Could be a single shot. The beer didn't look that messed up. Jenny got mangled with a ton of shrapnel and crap. Okay. And I think she's just an intelligent creature, so it takes a little longer, maybe. Okay. So that was just basically what you're telling me is pure speculation. You don't Absolutely. know. You don't know. Well, just say you didn't know. You just can't say know. know. You can't know because they don't tell you. They <laughs> don't really inform plot you plot. on what the what the balls do. They're just <laughs> he's got these balls and they do stuff. And he and the other question I want to ask you was that somebody asked him what he does. He says I'm a map maker. Did you buy that? Did you think that that's what he does? I mean, I like that line. It's I do too. Lines in the movie. I do too. I'm the, curious. I'm like, is that a job? No, because he seems more like how Sherman says, like he's an anthropologist. He invited, you invited us here, but he says people have been here before. We have, we have an interest in your species. Sure, Yeah. But that's what it seems like he's here for, unless he's just on vacation and he's a cartographer and his actual job is cartographer. Hmm. You don't really get an idea of like, is he here just because, or is he here on assignment? Yeah. 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 So maybe his job is to make maps, but he's on vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Okay. Just like, hey, guys, found this record. Gonna go visit this place real quick. I'll be right back. See ya. I'll be back when I die. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole planet comes down and gets them. Well, a giant ship comes down and gets that's them. That's the ship? So, well, here you go again. Because I thought that was the planet. So if that's the ship, then maybe the ship is what gets the original Voyager 2, not a planet. Because it looks just like the planet. The planet's a big blue gas giant. Yeah. But then this thing comes down and looks the same thing with the rings around it. So maybe that's the same thing. It's got rings, but it's a smaller, it's smaller and reflective. Mm. 
I don't know. It's smaller, but it's reflective. Well, you don't, you're only guessing it's a planet because you saw it in space. There was no. I'm making a whole bunch of assumptions. You are. You're like really just like and tossing so out. No, I'm not. I'm you're not. just assuming it's the planet. I'm saying it makes a lot more sense if it didn't leave our solar system. If it, no, it, intercepted, yeah. the, it intercepted the ship. Yeah. That's and he's a I'm non-corporeal uh, corporeal being. Apparently, yeah. I read somewhere where it's like he's made of energy. Like that's what his, he's just made of energy. Yeah. Which, I mean, you kind of get that idea. I guess. Yeah. I mean, but okay. I don't know why he needs a ship though. Then, if he's made of energy, agreed. That listen, that was a note online. So I, did, I didn't write it in my notes. I did notice the ship that he comes in on is the exact same uh, style ship as the ship in Smallville, yeah. the TV show that Clark comes down. And you I'm like, it's on purpose. I think that for, for Smallville, I think Smallville, yeah, wanted to do the Starman ship. Okay, maybe an alien learning to be human. They're like, oh, it's good homage. Yeah, let's, let's make it. I mean, no one will get it. No one yeah, will get it. No, cool. yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, it's the exact same design. <laughs> no, I don't want to join your cult, uh, cult Chloe. No, sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? Really? Oh, really? <laughs> um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was there's a moment when they go back to when you, when Sherman is, is with all the other guys are talking about the ship. They just opened the ship. They, he cracks oh, it open. Time, yep. They go in then they come back to Jenny and uh Starman, whatever they're doing. They come right. back to them and, and they suddenly know that he's Scott Hayden. He, you know, he, it's all very, con- them not finding them is very convenient and them finding them is very convenient. Well, they don't, but they, but they, they also, they have this, their moment where they, ha- where you're talking about when the guy says like, well, it's, it's technology that's a hundred thousand years ahead of our time. Like that scene, they know an awful lot about what has happened. Oh yeah. He's with Jenny Hayden. He's with that. He's on the road. Yeah. The road. I'm like, he's going to some, so I go, did we miss a scene? They always know that they know the stuff at the diner, but then they also know that he's going out. And they're probably at the hotel and they just yeah, I feel like we lot. missed something. I feel like there's an there's a scene that we're missing. And here's the other thing. Toward the end of the movie, they know they're going to the crater. Yeah. Like they just figure it out. Yeah. There's a scene, it's got a about maybe 35 minutes left when they camp in the NASCAR stadium. Yes. And like he's going to the crater. Why then are there not a ton of people waiting, just waiting for him at the crater? Why are you following them? Why not just have a whole contingency of people set up by the crater and not letting them go down? Yeah. For the convenience of plot so they can go down to the crater, obviously. Well, so like, why are you just not at the crater waiting for them? Well, then you also have that really cool shot where you have like 16 helicopters going across the desert it's, towards the crater, which is a nice shot. It's a great shot. Yeah. But I hear you. But you just already be at the crater if that's where you know they're going to be. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the, the chase, the quote unquote chase, obviously that's not what the movie's for. That's the inciting action that's forcing them to get into these troubles and these situations. But it's all very convenient. And I think that if you did the movie again today, they, they would spend a little bit more time on that because I don't think audiences would let them get away with that as much now today. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I mean, how about towards the end of the movie when he gets he gets stuck in the the checkpoint and he's in line and then oh, she right. and she, he gets off the phone. She's like, I need someone to drive me. And the kid's like, all right, let's go. Oh. So he takes the hot run and they go. And she's like, I need a favor. It's like. That's a pretty big ask of you for him to basically set off an explosion, speed away, and have the government chase him down. He's going to be in jail. Vehicle. Oh, yeah. He's going to jail. He, he was probably thinking he was going to get so much action. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you just basically, you're going to get arrested. Yeah, no problem. All right. Yeah. I, I thought that was a really big ask of Jenny, but whatever. <laughs> I love how Starman just gets in that line. He's just like, oh, everybody's lined up. All right, what's yeah, going he on? Doesn't, he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> He doesn't, he doesn't know what's happening. I also love when he smokes a cigarette. 
in the car when uh, the line cook, he's driving with the line cook and they he gives him the cigarette. Yeah. And the ways. Yeah. Cause yeah. He, <laughs> and he starts coughing. Do you think he asked the ornithologist about that? How would a bird, uh, can you give this crow some, uh, <laughs> give, yeah. real quick? give that egret some, a smoke of that. Let's find out what he does. All right. Can you film that? All right. I'm going to watch that on playback real quick. Speaking of animals, when she, the uh, in the film that Jenny's watching, she, there's a moment where she's like, Feeding a raccoon. Yeah. She, I'm like, uh, that's a raccoon, yo. What, what are you doing? <laughs> feeding the raccoon. It's a trash panda. <laughs> <laughs> feeding the raccoon during the daylight. <laughs> um, one of the other notes I have, uh, with, I'm not really, wasn't a huge fan of it. I like the point of view of the alien when it first shows up. Uh, when it's it goes oh, scanning the water things and, and then working, the, yeah, but I did not like the flashing or the audio cue. I, I like what was like, I was just like, enough. Oh. that was a little too much because it was just loud and it was just like, enough already. And there's a moment too where she turns around and bumps into him. I think it's when he was naked, oh, when he's when she's about to get in the car and she wants to see if he's yes, still on the porch yeah, or not. He's yeah. not but like, there's like a, a like a smack, like a like a a really loud audio cue that's not like a person hitting another person running into it's like a person running into a board or something like that it was really weird and I, I think that's to make you jump i think in the beginning they're trying to make you a little nervous about what's going to happen they want you to make it seem like it's a horror film yeah i get really, yeah. yeah yeah like i said that's why they hold the, the theme until starman no i, I understand like, oh he's a good alien <laughs> did you did you say that out loud i no, i've i know he's <laughs> He's one of the good ones, honey. He's a good alien. He's not here to kill us. X-Files is a lie. I do know the rules. I watch very carefully. Red light means stop. Red means stop. Green light go. Yellow means go very fast. Which is accurate. It's one of, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so now there was a TV show. I read that last night. Starred Robert Hayes, Ted Stryker from Airplane. Now he comes back to visit, which he said he would never do. Yep. He comes back <laughs> and visits his son. Right? His son's there. Right. Yeah. Okay. Scott Hayden Jr. Yeah. Uh, why would you do that to the kids? <laughs> uh, but there's there's also, there, they were supposed to, well, there was talk of they were going to remake this. In 2016, Sean Levy was going to produce and I direct it. He's still attached, according to IMDb. Well, but yeah, it's, it's supposed to be written time. by uh, Arash Amel, who did Grace of Monaco, the TV, the TV movie with uh, Nicole Kidman. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how I feel about a remake because I don't know if it's going to capture what the original did. I think it's, yeah, I don't think you need a remake. I think not while the, all the stars are still alive and everything. I mean, Karen Allen's still around. Jeff Bridges is still you around. You better hope that ding's not coming now. Oh God. I, <laughs> I'd be so sad if that ding. <laughs> that would be very sad. But, um, I think a sequel would work much better than, a. a a remake of the original and, yeah. and the sequel doesn't need to be, I don't really need to, I understand a full sequel. Yeah. It can just be kind of, not a reboot quote, quote unquote, but like something similar in that vein, just a new story where you can hint that the first one took place and it maybe stars that son. Well, how about not, maybe not a sequel or anything, maybe nothing that relates to the first film, but something within that film universe in terms of an, another visitor comes and it's a different experience. Maybe that kind of thing. Why can't it still be Scott Hayden Jr. Quote unquote. Maybe he's never lived up to his potential and he finds out something about him and he, he doesn't understand what he's going through. Well, what if Scott and Hayden, you just kind of hint that he's part alien and then well, maybe kind of learn from there. Maybe he has, he wants to visit his father. So he 
Well, you got to, he's part him. So I would imagine that once Scott Hayden Jr. lives his mortal life, he's going to turn into a ball of energy and return home. No, he's completely human. He no, just he know says that, that. No, no, no. He's, he says he would be part human, part me, part Scott and part me. No, he said 100% completely human, but he said he will know, he will have all of my memories. He will know everything I know. Okay. I don't know. I don't remember that like that, but all right. That's fine. I just don't remember. I thought he said part. I thought he said they were, he'd be both. Nope. Hmm. So he'd be completely human, but he'd know everything he knew. Okay. So maybe you have Scott like start to have these memories pop into his head after he gets to adolescence or he's, you know, 35 and he's working some dead end job and he's supposed to be a teacher. And maybe at the end he does become a teacher or some kind of, you know, it doesn't have to be a teacher in a literal sense, but something that's like similar where you're like, Oh, okay. That's gonna, what Starman he meant. Would, he would join SETI. Well, uh, here's the thing though. Let's be honest. They're going to keep tabs on her. They're going to know she's pregnant. They're going to start tracking her. My note at the end of the movie is uh, it ends on a nice note, but you know they're going to take Jenny. Oh, yeah. Lock her up and test her. They're going to find out she's pregnant. They're either going to let her come to terms with the baby or they're going to cut that baby out and cut it up. This isn't over. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. This movie ends poorly after that. Well, if you if you just ignore what if you just live in the moment uh, in that moment. Oh, that moment's a beautiful story. But if you're a person that's going to be like, what's going to happen after two seconds later, they got her on the ground handcuffed. Yeah, get on the ground. Get on the ground. Get down. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely. That's too bad. Mark Sherman's getting arrested. No, he totally. He's he's out of a job. Yeah, he's done. Yep. What? Why do you think this is forgotten then? I think it's forgotten because it's. I want to say it's old because we've done older movies. It's, but I think old. it's old. I think it's it's just it's, yeah. it's a movie that is feel good. It's it's a lovey dovey kind of romance. I feel like I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but I think that romance movies are mostly liked by women. Love Ooh. stories and, and romantic movies are mostly liked by women, and most women are also who like these those kind of films maybe don't like sci-fi i don't think i while i love that these two genres came together i think they're very mutually exclusive most of the time in terms of the fans of either genre big sci-fi guys aren't like i love a good romance we talk about that all the time like uh, a lot of guys don't go to love stories because they think it's uh, like a macho kind of thing we've sure talked about that before and i think that holds people back from maybe wanting to go to a romantic sci-fi story I think in terms of a trailer, in terms of like, hey, what's this movie about? Oh, it's about it's about an alien that comes on and, and teaches, you know, learns about love. I can understand uh, somebody who does not like those films being like, eh, pass. But the fact that it's 40 years old, I think it's no longer people talk about it. People don't talk when they talk about 80s films and they talk about sci-fi. We talk about sci-fi all the time. Right. 80, like how, how sci-fi has its own genre within the decade. You don't talk about this film because you talk about 2010. You talk about. Alien. You talk about aliens. You talk about you know, the thing. You, actually, the thing. No. <laughs> you talk. You talk about a lot of that stuff. And right. And so I think that's where kind of Starman gets kind of set aside because people don't equate Starman with those type of films. The other thing is this is launches Jeff Bridges kind of or helps to launch him. Gets sure. Huge recognition. But now you think of Jeff Bridges. What's the first thing anybody my age or even your age probably thinks about? Big Lebowski. Exactly. And I think that overshadows a lot of his earlier career. Yeah. Agreed. Um, agreed. I, I would say that I think I think time has turned this movie into a forgotten film. We don't say forgotten. Just to clarify, 
because I feel like I need to keep clarifying it. We're not saying forgotten cinema like no one ever talks about it ever again. It's about just movies that maybe you don't talk about as much or they don't or they're not brought up in the in the conversation. They've fallen a little bit out of the zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah. The, the term forgotten is completely relative to what we decide when we're doing this and to whatever you decide. And it's fine. If somebody comes up to me and says, like, this movie's forgotten, I'm like, not by me, but I can understand why you think that. Yeah. So but you might have seen it in theaters with people younger than me have certainly absolutely so yes i grew up with the vhs copy (laughs) no one's growing up with the dvd blu-ray copy i will say this that i think that while jeff bridges gets a lot of the recognition and deservedly so i really think karen allen should got just as much because she is just as strong it's a i can sit here and if we were doing a debate i can make a case that it's her movie only I'm not going to because I know that it's just other factors. But like right. you know how when you take a debate, you take a side. I can right. absolutely take that side because she is it is big time about her grief and about her coming to terms with her grief. Grants is a little bit of a cheat because it's her husband that he clones and he ends up giving her a baby at the end. Sure. So, but still, it's it's not about that. It's about it's almost about reviving her faith in herself and life in i mean america i know is part of the backdrop in terms of that theme but it's more about her and i think that she upon watching this again she is just her performances i think should be a little bit more elevated in terms of like oh she's really good in this movie right that kind of thing she just got what a saturn award right oh that's sound yeah i know it yes agreed yes she just got a saturn yeah but still i mean everyone knows her from raiders and from the the crystal skull you know maybe some from scrooged you may be oh hey she's in the perfect storm but right. she really she should also know her for the star uh, for this movie as well because she's really really good in this film. Yep, and she's given a lot more to do in this movie than she is in Raiders. So, and I oh, love Raiders. Yeah. yeah, she's not the damsel in distress. Not that she's the damsel in distress. But that's Raiders, what she. But yeah. yeah, she is. She is inherently because Indiana Jones is the swashbuckling hero. Right. Right. All right. Cool. Where can they find us? ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family you can also find us on all those socials instagram facebook uh twitter we're all over there uh and uh yeah check us out wherever you find us give us a rating a review subscribe all that stuff helps our podcast to grow yeah so uh that's it starman check it out uh we caught it on you can rent it right i had to rent it yeah you can rent it pretty much everywhere yeah it's out there it's not it's it's available (laughs) uh so next week we're going to be doing a movie that was directed by peter bogdanovich uh noises off uh, from 1992. It's a movie that I've seen that I enjoy. I think it's based on a play. Butler's never seen it. So we have seen it or heard of it. Doing a little comedy. Though. Doing a little comedy. Michael <laughs> Caine, John Ritter, Carol Burnett. Ooh, yeah. 1992. Woo. The Golden Age. I was uh, 17. All right. So uh, that's it. Uh, we will see you next week on Mike Field. Got Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. That is a bad rendition of a score. That's pretty much it. <laughs> 